So as we begin our reading in Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 15, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, one of the kind of catchphrases for parenting, or at least for parenting teenagers these days, is a phrase I've heard often, is make good decisions. There's times even in movies and television shows where a teenager is going out the door, and that's the last thing the parent will tell them on the way out, is make good decisions. And I think that's a good thing to remind them of on their way out the door. It's a good thing to remind us of in any part of life. In fact, not only is it is it our desire for our kids to make good decisions, in fact, we put a lot of effort into that as parents. When we're raising our kids, we look back on our time as as young people and uh, some of the the things that we brought upon ourselves through our poor decisions, and we want our kids to learn from our mistakes. It's a lot easier if you learn from somebody else's mistakes. I know sometimes I'll hear kids say, I just need to learn it myself. I just need to learn it the hard way. And I think, oh, that's foolish. Don't do that. If you can learn it by somebody else making the mistakes or somebody else paying the price, then that's a much smarter way to learn it. Pay attention. Listen. You know what? That's the same thing God wants for us. God wants us to take it the easy way. To not learn the hard way. He's willing to teach us the hard way if uh, if we're stubborn about it. But He would rather that we learn it the easy way. And to learn it the easy way means that we got to walk in wisdom. Wisdom's a little bit different than knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge and still be a fool. Knowledge is accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the ability to take those facts and know how they fit in life. Wisdom is where it gets very practical. It's taking the knowledge that you can accumulate and making it function in life in a correct way. Making it work for you. And so that's what we're looking at here this morning as we look in this passage. He tells us that we should be careful how we walk. And actually the word careful is emphasizing the word walk, not look. It looks like in our translation, it looks like we're supposed to look carefully. Actually what uh, the Greek language is trying to put across there is that we should look to walk carefully in this world. And the way that he describes that is that we should walk in wisdom, not as unwise, but as wise God's just basically saying, look, I want you to make good decisions. I want you not to live in a foolish life, an unwise life. I want you to walk in the wisdom that He is very willing to give us. In fact, earlier in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, in verse 17, He said that He was praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And he also went on to say a little bit farther into the book of Ephesians that the apostles and the prophets were given this insight, this wisdom, this spirit of wisdom to be able to understand the mystery that God had hidden for ages and then now revealed in Christ. And he was saying, look, the apostles and prophets were revealing that wisdom to us and his prayer for us is that we would have the wisdom, that God would give us the wisdom to be able to understand it. And now he's telling us in chapter 5 that I want you to walk in that wisdom. Learn from that wisdom. Let it impact your life. Make 
those good decisions. And that's what we're going to consider this morning is the command to walk in wisdom. Well, this wisdom is going to involve uh, several things. In fact, there's about five of them as we look through this passage. The first thing that we find is it involves a, a proper response. Because notice right at the very beginning of verse 14, he does something that points us backwards again. Remember last week, in the last two weeks, we recognized that when he began to describe the love of Christ, he put the the word but in there and then contrasted it to an immoral type of an expression of what the world calls love. And, And then that also grew into becoming the darkness that he said was in contrast to the light. So really walking in love and walking in light have been very connected. Well, now what he does is as he starts to talk about walking in wisdom, he connects it back to walking in the light. Look at the language right there in verse 15. He says, look carefully then. He means based on what we just said right before this, that means we need to look carefully to walk in wisdom. And it connects it back to that light of Christ and that love of Christ. And so it is wise to walk within the love and the light of Christ. Now let's look just right before that. Look at verse 14. He's been describing the darkness that is in the world and our need to walk in the light. And then in verse 14, he he gives a quote there. And the quote, we're not exactly certain what it's of. There's a couple of options. It could be parts of three different Old Testament Bible verses. These ideas do come from Scripture, so he might have just been taking a part of this verse and a part of this verse and a part of this verse and putting them together. Or he could have been quoting from some of their early church liturgies and things that they would say and use in worship services. That's a possibility. And so at any rate, he either quotes back from parts of different uh, Bible verses or from something that was a common expression within Christianity at the time. And that's what he says in verse 14. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so he's been saying, look, the the world is dark around you, but if you awake... Awake from that stupor. Awake out of this darkness. And arise and come to Christ. And But he's talking to believers. So I don't think he's talking about the salvation experience. I think he's saying, look, if you were to wake up and not get drugged into the darkness that's surrounding you, but embrace Christ, then He will shine on you. And right after that, in verse 15, he says, Look then that you walk carefully, not as unwise. In other words, the wise thing to do is to respond to the light of Christ and embrace Christ in your life. That is the wise thing to do. Walking in wisdom involves a proper response to Jesus Christ and His invitation for you to walk with Him. It's wise for you to walk in the love of Christ and in the light of Christ. It's foolish for you to neglect both of those things. But then also as we go on, we see that it also involves proper management. He says in verse 16, making the best use of the time. We need to take advantage of that time. Use the time that we have for the best outcomes. Use it in a wise way. Last week, I was sitting on the couch watching TV. I was watching this show and it had commercials in it. And I thought, you know, rather than just sitting here waiting for commercials to get over, i got a book sitting right by me that's a good book that I've been enjoying. I could read that. And you know what I was amazed at? I was amazed at the amount of reading I could get done during commercials. Now, and I thought, man, if I just, if I just watch or did some reading during these commercials, you can actually get quite a bit done. That's pretty cool. 
Now, it does beg a bigger question. What if you just turn the darn thing off and read? Then you can get even more done. Uh, I don't think that you always got to do that. Doing the commercials is fine sometimes too. And to be honest with you, sometimes I turn that thing on just to kind of make myself stop thinking a little bit. In fact, I have a hard time falling asleep because my mind just keeps going if I don't shut the thing, have something to kind of distract it a little bit. And so sometimes I think you just need some of that to wind down. So I don't think this means you've got to be busy doing something productive all the time. But what it is saying is, look, you're given so many hours a day, and this is your life. You have to manage it. You have to decide how much time you're willing to put towards different things, how much time you're willing to put toward relationships, how much time toward learning, how much time towards working, how much time towards your time with the Lord and devotions and, and reading and thinking about those things. I was reminded by it, about it the other day. I got in my truck and I was working up in the falls, so I had, a, I had 20 minutes to drive up to the falls. I always do something when I'm in my truck. I put on something to listen to that's uh, informative or something like that, or or I have a subject that I think about or, or whatever, but enjoying the scenery. I can worship and enjoy the scenery sometimes too. But at any rate, I'm driving down the road, and I was going to turn on something to listen to, which wouldn't have been a bad thing, but I thought, you know what? Do you know how many people we're praying for on Sunday mornings and, and all through the week? And I thought, you know what? i got too many people to pray for to turn on anything to listen to right now. And I just started praying for people. You can pray for a lot of people in 20 minutes. And I thought, you know, that's going to be a better use of my time today. That's what it's telling us to do. If we're going to live a wise life, an invested life, then we're going to have to manage our time. There's a lot of time where you're just kind of doing nothing or that can be very productive. And sometimes I recognize you just need to do nothing too. But how much of it? Right? How much of those games do you need to play? Or how much of that TV do we need to watch? How, how, how much should we be doing something more interactive, relating with other people, praying, studying? We have to be exercising proper management to live a life of wisdom. Also, we have to have proper motivation. He has a, there's a motivating factor here that should spur us on. He says, because the days are evil. Why should I make the most use out of my time? Why not just goof around all the time? Do whatever feel I feel like doing. Because the days are evil. The easiest thing to do is we look around and we see the evils of our world, and there's plenty of them to talk about. But the easiest thing to do is to just kind of gripe about them. Just to kind of complain about them and how we don't like how this is going this way or we don't like how that's going that way. And we feel sorry about this and we feel sorry about that. But you know what? Get up and do something about it. You know, get, in, get involved in some way. If I don't like the way something's going within my society, what could I do about it? How can I reach out to somebody that's suffering and, and I can ease their burden somehow? Or be an encouragement or teach the next generation of kids coming up or impact the youth within our society or speak out on certain subjects or call a, a representative to try to get them to influence their vote that's coming up in one issue or another you know, what can I do to get involved? How can I be a positive influence in these things? Because the days are evil. And you know that famous old quote, for evil to persist or to succeed, what has to happen? Good people do nothing. And it will succeed. All of us good people need to do something. When we see the days getting evil, it's not just grumbling from the sidelines. That's not what God has called us to. In fact, I find it interesting that this passage dealing with darkness, where God was talking about the light and shining in the darkness, is surrounded by passages thinking, talking about thankfulness. 
that even in the midst of the darkness, we should be exercising thankfulness. And he said that we got proper motivation for it. There's enough going on out there that's negative. What can we do to fix that? What can we do to get engaged and turn that into something better? Do something good with your time. But then he also says we got to have proper discernment. And the reason that I would say that is because of the thing that he says next. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We come across issues and we come across events and things within our life and within society. We need to be searching our Bibles. And we need to be doing studies and looking things up and to find out what does that mean exactly. And what is, what is the will of God in every situation that we face? There's an opportunity for me to participate in these different things. What does God's Word have to say about those things? What is, what is the will of God as I get involved in different areas or different activities? Last week we looked up some passages that spelt out explicitly exactly what God's will is in the areas of sexuality and that kind of thing. Well, there's a whole lot of other subjects out there. There's a whole lot of other areas of life and we need to be digging in and finding out what is the will of God in each of those things. Don't be foolish, he said, but discern what God's will is. And then also he says that in order to live this wise life, we have to have a proper influence. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, he makes a contrast, which he's been doing uh, through a lot of the book of Ephesians. Remember back in Ephesians chapter 4, he said the old man on one side and the new man on the other side. And he kept contrasting those two things. Stealing with working and generosity toward other people. Lying, telling the truth. Well, then he contrasts love and lust. And then he contrasts light and darkness. And now he's drawn another contrast for us. Foolishness and wisdom. And then to do that, he takes a very practical uh, analogy and he contrasts drunkenness and life in the Spirit. What exactly is the point that he's making? For him to say, do not get drunk wherein is debauchery. Debauchery is like kind of reckless living, kind of the party life if you think about that kind of thing. He says, don't get, in that. Don't get involved in that. That's foolish. Rather, the wise thing to do is live in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, what in the world does drunkenness and life in the Spirit have in common that you would make it natural to use them to contrast one another? Well, I think it has to do with this area of influence. What is going to influence you? You see, when we talk about being drunk, we often call that under the influence. They're under the influence of alcohol. They're under the influence of drugs. They're under the influence. Because if you fill yourself up with alcohol or some other kind of a drug, it influences you. You will say things that you would not otherwise have said. You will do things that you otherwise would not have done. You will make mistakes that you wouldn't have made. You will end up in fights that you would have never been in. It gets ugly. You know, I had some experience with that many years ago. And did a bit of drinking in my time. And it didn't lead to anything good. And all those things I just mentioned, I ended up, I ended up in fights that I, that I would never have been in. I said stupid things I never would have done. I ended up with wounds I never would have had. And I damaged relationships that never would have been damaged. When you're under the influence of those things, your inhibitions go away. And you do stupid things. I remember I was having a conversation one time with a customer and uh, the, the subject of alcohol came up. 
I said, I don't really have anything to do with alcohol. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying that the Bible forbids you to ever have a beer or anything like that, but it, what it forbids is drunkenness. I just really don't have any part in my life for it. I don't think it tastes good. The only other motive for drinking it would be what it would do to you, and that's wrong. So I just don't have any use for it whatsoever. And I just mentioned to that person, I said, you know, nothing good ever comes from it. And you know what his response was? He says, oh, I don't know about that. I've seen a lot of funny things of people under the influence of alcohol. And I thought, okay, that's true. He's got a point. But then I also thought, you know what, his point kind of makes my point. Because then if that's what we get out of alcohol is funniness at somebody else's expense, then what that means is, is if I overconsume in it, if I get drunk, then really the one positive thing that come out of it is that I can be a fool for your party. Is that you can end up laughing at the stupid things that I can do. I can be your court gesture. And that's really the best that can come out of that experience. And a whole lot of bad. And that's what he's telling us. Don't give yourself in to that influence. Now, he's in a society that it was not foreign to their society. You know what? It's not foreign to ours either. But you know what? That's not where we want to live. He says, rather, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit will influence you. But you know what it will influence you toward? It will influence you toward better relationships. It will influence you toward a better life as you avoid sinful temptations. It will influence you and empower you to overcome those temptations in your life. It will influence you toward a more productive life. You manage your time better and you're involved in better things and you're making a difference in the world and your life is valuable to other people. That's what the Spirit will influence you to. The Holy Spirit will influence you toward laying aside bitterness and the things that we talked about before, and exercising gentleness and kindness toward other people. It will influence you to walking in the love and the light of Christ. That's what He will influence you toward. You won't be the butt of somebody else's joke or their good time. You will live a life that is honorable and well-pleasing as you follow the will of God. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. You know, I've felt a lot of different emotions and experiences and things like that in the days where I indulged. And wisdom is not one thing I ever felt while participating in that. I love Proverbs 31. We usually think of Proverbs 31 for the virtuous woman and everything, right? Well, earlier within Proverbs 31, it deals with a king. His mother's instruction toward him and this oracle that she pronounced over him as king. And this is what it says in Proverbs 31, verses 4-9. through 9, It says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And so this mom is writing to her son that's a king or this oracle for the king. And she's saying, look, you're the king. If you give yourself over to drunkenness, justice will not prevail. People will be impacted by your decisions. The needy will continue to be needy. And that will be devastating within the country. And she's absolutely right. But you know what? If I could put this in just a kind of a summary, what I glean from this for myself, is if you look down and look at all the descriptions within that passage, it basically says this. If you got something to live for, then alcohol really doesn't have a part in your life. 
Your life is too valuable to throw it away on the likes of drunkenness. Your life is too honorable to be disgraced in that kind of experience. You are too valuable. You mean more than that to God. So stay away from it. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Ephesians has already talked much about the Spirit. In, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 13, he tells us, "...in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit." So when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us and dwells us and seals us, protects us. Then in chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, "...for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father." And so our access to God is through Christ, but the Spirit enables us as we, as we come to the Father in that way. A couple verses later, it says, In Him you also are being built together. It says, Into a dwelling place for God. And how does that happen? By the Spirit. God's Spirit comes and indwells us. And He wasn't talking about us just individually at that time, which is also true. He was talking about us collectively as a church. He says that all of us together, God comes and indwells us as His church and He does it by His Spirit working among us. And Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And then in chapter 4 and verse 3, He talks about that we should be eager to maintain the unity as a church because of the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Part of the reason for that is because there's one Spirit. And so we should have unity within that one Spirit. In chapter 4 and verse 30, He warned us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And then finally in this passage, we need to be influenced by the Spirit of God. Now what exactly does that bring into our life? There's four participles in the Greek language that follow this that describe what that filling of the Spirit means or what it accomplishes The first two kind of point to the same thing. So we're going to break it down to three things that it accomplishes in our life. The first two of them, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. He points it two different directions. He says, one, we're going to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're addressing one another in songs. And it says, as we sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And so what we see is corporate worship. I know that we have lots of times where we worship as individuals, where you see something amazing or you're thinking about something about God and it just turns into worship. You just reflect that back to God and you're worshiping God. But you know what? He says when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the things you're going to experience is corporate worship. Worship is not just a me and God experience. Worship is also a us and God experience. That's exactly what we experienced this morning. As we came this morning, we started singing some songs about the cross. As we're doing that, we're, we're singing with one another. We're addressing one another as we sing the same songs together. And we're singing it to the Lord. And so our worship is multifaceted. It is us together as we direct it to God and experience it among each other. Corporate worship. If you look out through the Bible, God is always calling His people to gather, to assemble, and to worship Him corporately. Not just as individuals, not even just within our homes, but in the corporate sense, in the, in the church gathering, back in the Old Testament with Israel gathering for different feasts and holidays and, and Sabbaths. 
corporate worship is part of our experience as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But secondly, we also see that there is a consistent thanksgiving. You remember back two weeks ago when we were talking about the love that God has for us? And, and then how he showed the contrast to that? And we talked about how covetousness was part of the contrast to loving God. Because covetousness is when you find satisfaction outside of God. When you're saying, God, your way is not satisfying to me in order for me to be fulfilled or in order for me to get what I want. I'm going this other direction that, that is outside of your bounds because you're not satisfying to me, but that will make me happy. And remember what the opposite of it was? The opposite was thanksgiving. Finding your satisfaction in God. Being thankful for what God has for you right at this moment. That's where we find contentedness. That's where we find satisfaction. And that's where God is worshipped. When we're saying, God, I'm completely satisfied in who you are and in what you have for me. In this passage it says, giving thanks and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Find your satisfaction in anything else. You just make that thing your God. And then it's covetousness and it's idolatry. To find our satisfaction in God and what He has for you at the moment, that is thanksgiving. And that is beautiful. Well, the Spirit leads us in those things. He leads us in corporate worship. He leads us in this thankfulness to God, this consistent thanksgiving. And then the Spirit also leads us in Christ-honoring submission. Because the very last part of that, and he's really going to begin to embellish on this next week as we, as we look in the next verses, tell us how, how do we submit to one another as husband and wife? How do we submit to one another as, as, as a parent and child and family relationships? And so he's going to elaborate on that. But for this week, let's just focus on this. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's a Christ-honoring submission. It means that in our relationships that I don't hold what I want the most the most dear to me, I think about what you want. It means that I'm willing to put away my self-centeredness and what I want out of this experience and think about what you want out of this experience. Philippians gives a great example of it. He starts off telling them that they ought to be like-minded and don't consider only your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then he goes right into the interest of Christ who was living in the splendors of heaven and let go of all of it to come down here to suffer and to die for us. Why? Because he thought about our needs as more important than his current experience in heaven. And he was willing to let go of all of that and come down here and live a life in our shoes and suffer and die for us. Well, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have that same kind of Christ honoring. Because Christ was willing to suffer for me, I am willing to suffer for you. That's what it means. Because Christ put me first, I can put you first. And that's what he's calling us to. He's describing this Spirit-filled living. What what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? Does it mean we're going to speak in tongues or do something fantastic, elaborate, have some kind of amazing power? Well, it does mean you're going to have some kind of amazing power. But you know what it's going to be seen in? It's going to be seen in your ability to come together with other people and to worship corporately. And consistently thank God for the things in your life at the highs and the low moments of your life. Finding ultimate satisfaction within Him. And it also means that you're going to, in a Christ-honoring way, be able to submit and lay down your rights. You know what? That's where the real power comes in. If you can lay down your own interests for the interests of others, 
That is a strong individual. That's not the easiest thing to do. But the Word of God says as we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is a continual and ongoing thing, He says that's exactly what you'll see in your life. So we need to walk in this wisdom. What does that involve? It involves a proper response to what Christ has done for us and and to His offer to us to embrace Him. It involves proper management of our time and our life resources. It involves, involves proper motivation, recognizing the darkness of the times and letting that spur you on into action to be a proper influence or a good influence. It involves proper discernment and understanding what the will of the Lord is and avoiding foolishness. It involves a proper influence, not giving ourselves over to the things that are influence for the world, like drugs and alcohol, that kind of stuff, but rather being influenced by the Holy Spirit who will lead us down that path of corporate worship, consistent thanksgiving and Christ-honoring submission one to another.